Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 480 for March 15th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz. He's back with Programming by Stealth, installment 32. This is crazy, Bart. Two to the power of five. Aren't we great? <laughs> We're having at it, that's for sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm really glad you give partial credit on the homework. <laughs> uh, I think you did very well in this 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 uh, week's homework. Actually, I guess so. I uh, I seem to have fundamental misunderstandings that once we finish cracking my head against it, I know a lot more, and I think that's all objective, right? Well, that's exactly the reason that you do assignments and stuff. I mean, the, you know, it, your brain thinks, oh, yeah, that sounds straightforward. That, that's fine. And then you actually go to do it and your brain goes, oh, hang on a second. <laughs> what? And a lot of times I understand, like in part of this, there was a uh, a piece where uh, I knew I needed an array, but I don't know how to make an array. I knew how to, to use one, but I didn't know how to make it exist. So uh, and it was awfully easy once it came, once you explained it to me. So anyway, I had fun. Good, good. So we're continuing on our twin track approach. Um, so we'll start by having a look at our homework. So maybe you can argue it as a triple track approach. So we'll look at our, our homework from last time. Then we're going to revise error handling in JavaScript, particularly the three magic words, throw, try, and catch. Oh, good. Because Jill keeps talking to me about those and I don't understand them very yeah. well. Yes. So that's, the, well, basically Jill said you have to revise those. <laughs> isn't following when I talk. I was like, okay, we'll do that. I love it. So, and it's good to do. It's important. It's, it's an important concept and it should make more sense the second time around because you now have so much more practical experience that the why is going to make so much more sense. Good. It's not abstract. It's, it's much more real now. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and then, then we're going to move on to uh, the HTML select tag, which gives us both drop-down lists and those horrible, evil, multi-select lists that everyone hates. <laughs> uh, so I, I will suggest we don't do much of those evil ones everyone hates, but I'm going to tell you how in case there's <laughs> some strange reason you might like to use one. It's like you, you uh, taught us how to do tables and then said, don't ever use tables. I didn't. No. No. Okay. On that one. Okay. Tables are for tabular data. Okay. And tabular data only. Don't use them to format things on screen. They are not a layout tool. They are for, for tabular data. All right. Like using Excel to write a letter. It's just so wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the installment I gave last time, basically this is the final, final finishing touches to our date and time prototypes. We are, we are done with them now. We're going to use them. Well, no, we're done making them. We're going to use them uh, for our examples throughout the entire installment today. Oh, good. Um, including when we move on to the HTML stuff. We're going to bring those prototypes into the browser and use them in a web GUI with a web form holding it all together. Oh. So that's, that's you know, bringing, bringing the two strands back into focus with each other. Um, so the, the challenge I set was just to write four static functions uh, as examples of what static functions can do. Uh, so the first of them was a static function in the pbs.date prototype that will take two arguments, which are years, and tell you all of the leap years between those two years inclusively. Um, and then the other three was an R equals function for each of the three prototypes. So effectively, it's copy, paste, copy, paste, right? It's the same logic three times, but you said you like repetition. I do. Um, and the job of this function is to take arbitrarily many arguments and tell if they are all equal to each other 
and of the appropriate type to be a date, a time, or whatever. So let's start. Okay, so the zip file for this installment contains my full solution, so the entire prototypes. I have not copied and pasted that into the show notes because that is hundreds of lines long. Now. <laughs> Uh, instead, I have only pasted into the show notes the actual functions for the homework with little dot, dot, dots in where all the other stuff goes. Um, so I've left the basic structure. So you see, we're, you know, we're creating our namespace and we have our self-executing anonymous function and then we define our prototypes and so forth. So I, you can still see where in the structure these four functions fit, but I haven't included all the rest of the stuff. Great. Um, so starting at the top, the first one we meet is pbs.time.r equal. Uh, so we look at this one, uh, bear in mind that it's basically one of three almost identical functions. So as is always the case, uh, you start by validating the basic stuff, because if the basic stuff is wrong, there's no point in even doing a more detailed test. So the very first thing I said is, if arguments.length is less than two, return false. If you haven't given me at least two things, they can't possibly be equal. Hmm. One thing couldn't be equal to itself. No things are definitely not equal to anything. So if arguments at length is less than two, I just return false. Isn't that just called self-aware? <laughs> to some extent. The next thing I check is if the first item in the the first argument, is it a time? If it isn't a time, then nothing can be equal to that time because it isn't a time. So we can also just return false straight away. So the very first thing, so I have var first t equals arguments zero. If not, first t instance of pbs.time return false. So nope. I've also Why do you only check the first one? Well, that's my starting point, right? So the very oh, first thing okay. is to think, make sure I have at least one first thing, which is sane. Okay. And then I'm going to take that first thing and compare it to all the others. Hmm. So I'm just saying, is the first thing a time? If the first thing isn't even a time, then this whole thing is pointless. Right? Okay. If you pass boogers as the first argument, it's not a time equal to any other time. So I can already return false. I can already just sod off. So at that point, we know that the first thing handed to us is sane. And then we have to compare the second to the first, the third to the first, the fourth to the first, and so on until we run out of things to compare. That's our basic structure for this. Function. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm just realizing um, I didn't... Okay. No, no. Never mind. No, Keep no, going. you did something very similar. So yeah. There are some subtle differences with your solution, but there's an infinity of correct answers, remember? Mm -hmm. So you went with the approach of starting i at zero and then comparing i to i plus one in your loop, mm -hmm. whereas I decided to start i at one <laughs> and always compare to the first element. So oh. My... oh, okay. So one to zero, two to one. Okay. Well, no, so... 1 to 0, 2 to 0, 3 to 0, 4 to 0. So I just keep, oh. so I have this very, I say var first t equals argument 0. So now I have a copy of the first one. And then I start my loop at the second one and I'll, and compare the second one to the first. Third one oh, to the first. Oh, okay. The first. Okay, I did same the first to the second, actually. second to the third, third to the fourth, fourth to the fifth. Okay. But again, it's the same result, right? Yeah. If they're equal to each other. That is just as correct. Right. Just a good way of checking that they're all equal to each other. Um, and the end result is the important thing is the only time we return inside the for loop is when we find one that is false. Because then we can just run away. As soon as any two of them are not equal, the whole set is unequal, so just return false. What you absolutely shouldn't do is return true inside that for loop because then you're short-circuiting the evaluation of all the other things. In other words, the way Allison did it. 
It worked for, <laughs> until I realized there could be multiple arguments. I had this thing working real good. But as soon as you threw that third one in at me, I was like, what? Didn't get, I got that and backwards. Are apparently many, right? I mean, this function will work for a hundred of them. Yeah. What I liked about it, though, is, is when you do it wrong, you realize why you do it the, the right way. If you did it right, right the first time, you might have just gotten lucky. True, true. So then the last line in my code is something I find myself writing an awful lot. I, I find myself writing this comment in a lot of code. If we made it to here, all is well. <laughs> Return true. Right, right. So basically, at any point in the process, we've returned false as soon as something was wrong. And if you make it the whole way to the end of the function, then nothing went wrong. So everything's okay. Return true. So it occurs to me that the fact that I was able to copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste this, isn't that something, isn't that a bad smell? Well, not really, because it's copy, paste, tweak. Well, no. Right? Well, you got to say, okay, in my code, it's certainly tweak, because I'm saying make sure that first T is an instance of pbs.time. Yeah, you, you could have done that without giving it a variable name. name. Well, you, no, but I'm checking against the prototype I belong to. But you could have said, uh, is argument zero a pbs.time? Okay, and then in date time, I got to check if it's a date time. In right, date, but then, but after date. that, the for var equal, i equals one, i less than arguments at length, i plus plus, all that checking, you could have done that with that. I was able to copy and paste mine, with, but okay, not, but not counting that checking part. Yeah. Arguably, if you want to get fancy pants with it, you could have created the function as a standalone function that belongs to no prototype and then assigned the three functions equal to it. But then yeah. you'd have to take the check for the type out, which is okay, actually. So yeah, arguably there is a way to do it so that you have you don't have to do copy paste. Or you could you could still you could still do the um the check for the type, just don't give and and have that be different by each function, but just have the the loop inside a, a helper function. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. That's just true. when you I was copy pasting, it seemed like hmm. No, copy pasting should always make you go hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a fair point. Uh. I'm not obviously going to do the other two that are basically the same. So the, the next one to look at then is the pbs.date.is... Oh, no, not is leap here. That's the one we did together during the installment. Um, so the one I asked Actually, you to do for your No, homework, no, we did the... Oh, right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So the leap years between is the one that was for the homework. Um, so the point of this function is it takes two arguments, which I've called y1 and y2, because I'm just boring that way. As as I keep on saying, I always assume the user's an idiot. So the first thing I do is validate my data. If if it's not the case that both y1 and y2 are integers, we throw an error. You're such both a double negative kind of guy. I said, uh, I said, uh, what did I say? If they're, oh well, no no no, just... I did negative and I didn't, but I did an or. I did well, is not okay, so it, or yeah, is so not. You can have... If you have the not outside the whole lot, then you do an and. Or yeah. you can dis the rules of Boolean algebra are that you can distribute the not by breaking it in half and then turning the and into an or. That's what I did. Yeah. Okay. I know I prefer to write it that way, but probably because in most prog in Perl I always write unless, and the closest I get to unless in JavaScript is if not. <laughs> um, I then start by making an empty array into which I'm going to collect all of the leap years. I call it ants. That's just a it's just a habit I have. If a function is to get an answer, I just create a variable called ants that I will build the answer into and then at the very end go return ants. Mm -hmm. That's just 
my thing. I don't think you like my use of that word, but anyway, that's that's my thing. That's what we will allow it. So the question I then ask is, where do we start and end the loop? So I initially put them both to zero, and then I say, if y1 is less than or equal to y2, we'll start at y1 and end at y2. Otherwise, we'll start at y2 and end at y1. Now, you had a slightly different approach. You basically went, if you put the longer year first, sod off. (laughs) Yep. I'm very demanding of my users, my customers. Do it right. Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly valid. I just said, ah, oh, what the hey, it doesn't make any difference to me. Where, you know, so, I just, so I just basically went, I'll start the loop one way or the other way. Perfect. Both are perfectly valid. I didn't tell you what to do, so they're entirely correct, both solutions. Uh, and then you just loop through var y equals start year, y is less than or equal to the end year, y plus plus. Ironically, I used longer variable names in this function than you did, which almost never happened. <laughs> I think my code is shorter, too. So I said well, for... I have this big block of code here for deciding whether we go from A to B or B to A. Um, yeah, okay, let but me go I down to your for loop and see. From line 86 to 92 there, I'm all I'm doing there, actually from line 84 to 92, I'm just trying to figure out whether we're going from left to right or right to left. It never occurred to me that you could say Y plus plus. I've only ever seen I plus plus, so I called that I. <laughs> it was an incrementer, well, Bart. Well, in this case, it's their years, right? And so I call well, them Y. They're incrementers, anyway, yeah. So we just say if PBS the date that is leap year y and start push y. So we just shove it into the array at the end of the array. And at the end of it, we just return the array and we're done. Yeah, so I called the array ly because you call it with ly. Right, but what I call it with and what happens inside the function are irrelevant, right? That's a, that variable name exists in my yeah. code. It doesn't have any bearing on your code. You're in a yeah. whole new variable scope. You're free to call it whatever you like in your scope. That's the whole point of these functions, right? They're little well, islands. Yeah, so what is ly becomes ants in your case? Uh, no, in my case, uh, oh, let me see. So the sample code is where we're just looping through. So ants, yeah, it says for each function, parentheses, ly. Okay, so, right. So what's on the other, what comes before the for each? Leap years between is, parentheses 2000, 2100. Okay, so the result of leap years 22,100 is then for each. Mm-hmm. So that's an array, which we then for each our way through, and the for each function calls the anonymous function it takes as an argument once for everything in Wait, the what, array. Wait, what anonymous function? Uh, uh, okay, let me scroll. LY? Now, LY is... No, uh, well, okay, look a little bit outside of LY. Um there's so pbs.date.leapyears between 2000, 2001. That's the function call. Mm-hmm. So that gets evaluated first by the, compo- by the little JavaScript machine. Right. And that whole big thing gets replaced with an array, which is effectively ants. Or ly in my case, but that's why I called no, no, it ants. No, it's ants. It, it's the answer that you've returned. Okay, yeah, you called it. Sorry, you called it ly. Okay, but yeah. let's go with ants so that I can tell them apart. Right, so but that array now exists, and that array actually has no name. It just so happens that within your function, you were calling it ants, and now that it's been returned, it has no name. Hmm. Okay. Because we haven't assigned it equal to anything, right? So it's sitting there, and then we're calling the function for each on that array. So where, but you say for each parentheses function ly. Where does where does ly okay, so come function from? Function ly. That's an anonymous function. So we're passing as the one and only argument to for each. A function we've just made up and given no name. What is ly, so, though? That's a name. At that point, we are defining a name. We are saying within this function, we will call the first argument ly. 
I don't know how many ways I can say this differently because you always have trouble with this. When you're creating a function, you are naming the first argument. That is me creating a variable ly. Yeah. So for the purposes of this function, I will call the first argument ly. And then if you see inside the function, it just says console.log, a star concatenated with ly. So the first time through the loop, the first leap here will be ly. The second time through the loop, the next leap here will be ly. And as you can see, when it runs, it prints out star, year, star, year, star, year, star. I sort of feel like I, I, I get each piece, but then when we string them all together, I lose it again. So I know that my function inside this, these uh, JavaScript code I've written, those are all, mm. um, what are they called? Private functions. So uh, private variables. So I know they don't mm. exist outside. So I fundamentally understand that when we talk about well, ly outside of the code, it can't be looking at the one I made inside. So I got that piece. And I know that if I had created a function inside where I put ly in parentheses, that would have created it. Mm. But creating it outside bothers me. Creating function, creating, yeah, just writing for each function ly and ly suddenly hmm. becoming a variable without ever having said var ly becomes something. It doesn't know. use the keyword var, but effectively when you're defining a function like that, you are saying, I will call the first argument this name here. Yeah. <clears throat> I know you don't like it, but that is, that, is, that is what happens when you define a function. Every time you define a function, that is what you are doing. Tell me the 438th <laughs> time how I know that this is a, uh, an anonymous function. It has no name. Wow, it sure looks like it has a name L-Y to me, but that isn't no, where the name goes. The name of the first argument. That's the it's argument. The the oh, because it doesn't say equals and then a name? Well, normally you would say var or so, something equals function blah. Well, then the function has a name, right? It's whatever was on the other side that equals. Yeah. Okay. Right? So if you scroll up just a little bit, r equal equals function. Well, that's not an anonymous function. That function has the name pbs.datetime that are equal. Hmm. Whereas okay. this function down here in the for each, we create it after the first parens, after the h, and we never name it anything, and then it ceases to exist after that. Hmm. It's literally just this function that comes into being for a moment to do the for each thing, and then it vanishes. It never gets a name. We never keep it. Okay. It's it's it, it's sort of the the um well, what's the name of that actor who wrapped this tree around a car? You know, live live fast, die young. Oh, Fast and Furious guy, you mean? No, oh, he's really like from way before my time. Oh, famous kid, something Dean. Oh, James Dean. James Dean. Think of it like those functions like James Dean. It comes into being after the H, and it's finished by the semicolon two lines down. <laughs> Right? It's been declared, it's run, and it's gone. That's it. Its entire life is between... Uh, let me get the line numbers back here. Sorry, I double-clicked. Oh, yeah. No, I turn them back on. Oh, I have to... I go up to the top ah, and push the little button. Yeah, so it comes into being... So it basically comes into being a line 168, and by the end of line 170, that function is gone, never to be seen again. And it's been run for how many, ever many times hmm. there were leap years. Okay. I I you sit here not promising I won't loop, ask right? it again. You can do the same thing with a for loop, but I much prefer to use a for each loop on arrays because it just makes my life easier. Okay. Yeah, I, I never got confused by that part. 
Okay. I was confused by just about everything else in there, but not. <laughs> okay, I'm good. Okay, well that's that's it. That's that's the homework. So Great. that is, we now have perfectly good date and time related prototypes, and we're just going to keep those on file. We're going okay. we're going to we're going to refer back to them. Well, not refer back. We're going to use them. We've now written these APIs, so now we're just going to use them. All right. Um, so we now have some some nice data structures we can use whenever we need a data structure for an example. So let's look at error handling in JavaScript for our revision. So when you're writing code, errors are a game of two halves. Determining that something has gone wrong and then deciding how to respond to that are two very different tasks, right? And if you look at our code, you'll see that we very often we don't define in our pbs.date prototype, we never say what to do when something goes wrong. We just throw our hands up in the air and literally throw an error and say something has gone wrong. We Not don't hard code in what to do next. And that's how it should be, right? Good code has a separation between those two jobs because you want your same prototype to be usable all over the place. So maybe you have, you know, you might have 400 different websites that use the same prototype. How to respond to an error is going to be different on every page. Maybe on some pages it makes a bong noise and something flashes. Maybe on another page you put an error message somewhere or whatever. How, how to respond to something going wrong is up to the person using your prototype. It's not something you should hard code into the prototype. What if you, didn't, what if you use those prototypes as part of a command line script? Then you'd want to respond completely differently to if you're using it on a web page. Right. Well, right. what if you use these inside a text expander snippet, which can also do JavaScript? Oh, that's well, right. Well, then you need to respond differently to if you're using it in the command line. So that's why it's really important to never mush those two aspects together. Detecting that something has gone wrong and then deciding what to do about it are different tasks. And just remember that they are different. Okay. That makes sense. So. As an example of what you absolutely positively do not want to do, it'd be something like this dumb little function here. So I've made a function called div by with two arguments, x and y. I am making x come into being. I'm making y come into being. Ah. I shall call the first argument x and I shall call the second argument y. I say if y double equals zero, then using jQuery, I say find the, the, the element on the page with the ID errors and set its text to you can't divide by zero exclamation point return. Otherwise, return x divided by y. So that function mushes together, has something gone wrong, and what should I do about it together? That is completely unportable. That will only oh. work on the web, and it will only work on web pages that have an element with the ID errors and where I want the message to be, you can't divide by zero exclamation point. Okay, okay. Because I have hard-coded in how to respond and... And what to use to do it. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we want to completely and utterly avoid. Don't ever put those two things together. So this all, in JavaScript, this all revolves around three built-in JavaScript features, which have the keywords throw, try, and catch. So throw does the first half of our equation. Something has gone wrong. That is throw's job in life. It just exclaims, ah, sky is falling. <laughs> Something has gone wrong. I feel I like it's, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. I just threw it and I'm not going to do anything about it. Pretty much, that's a really good analogy, actually. Basically, what, what happens when a function throws an error is the function says, 
Over to you. I am yeah, done. I'm out. I'm out. Your problem. Why if you're not going to pay attention to me, fine. I'm out. <laughs> and all, all your code has to do, so the entire way through our prototype, the only error handling we have done has been detect if something has gone wrong, and if it is, throw new error something. Right. So throw expects to be told. So what throw throws is an object. And that object should be one of, it should be built with a, with a prototype that is one of JavaScript's error prototype. In theory, you can create your own custom errors. I didn't tell you how to do this. I'm not going to tell you how to do this. There's no point <laughs> okay. in doing this in JavaScript. The JavaScript language provides us with three prototypes to choose from, and pretty much there's always one of them that is appropriate. Oh, so, I don't, I never even noticed those were were uh, prototypes. Now you pointed out to me, it says new right in front of it. There we go. Exactly. So the three that I would suggest you use are error, which is the generic prototype. So error is always correct. You can, it is never incorrect to throw new error. Always acceptable. Okay. Sometimes one of the other two might be more appropriate, but that's optional. I like to do it because it's a little bit more explicit. So the first one is a range error. So An example of when a range error would make sense is if you expect an integer that's between 0 and 10 and they give you 11, it's not that they gave you something completely insane. They didn't give you like boogers. Mm -hmm. They gave you a number. You wanted a number, but it's not in the right range. So in your previous area where they tried to get you to divide by 0, that would be a range error. It could be. Could be if you were explicit. And okay. the other one then is type error. So th- this is one I use a lot because I will often check, you know, if, if unless, you know, if not something instance of something, throw new type error because I oh. wanted the PBS.date time and you gave me a string or you gave me an array or whatever. I have been wondering for a very me. long time what that meant. There you go. So it just basically means I wanted an X and you gave me a Y. Right. Start off. Okay. But if in doubt, just throw new error. That is okay. never wrong. So I, I say I like to be a bit more explicit. Now, JavaScript does also define a whole bunch of other error prototypes, but they don't make any sense for us normal people to use. If you hmm. write garbage code, you will see syntax error. <laughs> because when the JavaScript machine loses the run of itself, it throws a syntax error. Okay. Which I, that's um, useful. But we never throw that, right? We're never going to say throw new syntax error. Oh, right, right. <laughs> right? So from our point of view, it's error, range error, or type error. So okay. There are more, but I don't see the point. All right. So that's the first half of our thing done, right? We just got to throw a new error object when, when we become unhappy with something. The second half then is responding to those errors, deciding how to react. And that's something we haven't really focused on in the last couple of weeks. Because in the last couple of weeks, we have been writing a prototype. And in a prototype, the only thing you're supposed to do if you're doing it right is to throw. Right? I've just said to you that the worst thing you can do is respond, is hard code the response into a prototype. We've been writing prototypes. So we've only been throwing. Because that's so you're the saying right you, thing. you never want to do anything but throw in a prototype? Never say never. Okay. Well, maybe tell us what the other things are, and then I'll see if that makes sense to me. So. 
when we get on to more complicated things where you might have a prototype reaching out over the internet somewhere else, you might do a bit of error handling inside the prototype, probably for the purpose of throwing a new error that makes more sense. So you can you can respond to an error by creating a new error. You can catch one error, repackage it, and throw a new error. <laughs> well, let's right. l- explain what those things are to us before we yeah. go down that road. Okay. So first off, let's let's look at the world where we don't respond. What happens if we ignore the fact that something has thrown an error? Well, what happens is the JavaScript interpreter gets hit in the face by the error that's just been thrown because no one caught it, so it just got bonk. And it can only respond by terminating the current thread of execution and then printing out an error message. Right. So if you're running on the command line through Node.js or something, everything you're doing stops and you get this blurp of an error message out. And Node.js is quite nice. It will try its best to be helpful and it will point to the line where the error came from. And it, you know, it'll do something. Yeah, it makes sense. sense. Right. I got a lot of those if, this week. Right. <laughs> If you're running in the web, the thread of execution will stop and it will be written to the invisible error log that no one's ever going to see unless they're a developer. Okay. Now, we call this an unhandled error because no one took care of it. It was thrown and then everyone pretended it was someone else's problem and no one responded. So eventually the browser just throws its hands up in the air and stops. And that is immensely unhelpful in the web environment at least on the console you've seen it if you're doing it on the command line and a great big error barfs out you've seen it if you're the user of a web page that has an unhandled error it just stops working you're trying to do something and it just doesn't work and you're never going to see the error message because you're never going to go looking in the console sure sure so on the web you don't want unhandled errors you want to handle them okay so (coughs) excuse me this cold is really annoying me now um, so you handle errors by putting the code that might throw an error inside a try block and putting your response to that error inside a matching catch block. So before I show you those in action, I want to show you failing to catch. Can, can you explain, In is there some sort of explanation of why the words are try and catch? Yes. So you try this code and then you catch any errors that are thrown. So this is before the error has happened. You right. run it so you, you run wrap, it through a try. You wrap the code that might go wrong inside a try block. Okay. So and give it a shot. Those, they're probably wrong, but give it a shot. Well, they're probably right. Like in reality, <laughs> users are right 99% of the time. So you put it inside the all the code that might throw an error goes inside the try block. And then your response to any error from anywhere in that try block goes in the catch block. So you want to have very different responses. You might have a lot of little small try blocks. Try this, respond this way. Try this, respond this way. Or you might take all of your code, wrap it in a great big try block and say, if anything goes wrong anywhere, I don't care. Okay. This one catch will deal with it all. Okay. Okay. So the so, the stuff we're going to test is going to be in this try block. And then if something goes wrong, they get handed over to the catch block. And that's where we're going to handle the errors in the catch block. Precisely. And if nothing okay. goes wrong, the catch block never happens. Okay. Makes sense. So to see this in action, there's a tiny little code snippet here, which is designed to be run either through Node.js or through Code Runner, because it will run Node.js for us. 
Now, there's a small caveat. We need this snippet of code to see our prototypes, ah. which you will find in the zip file as pbs.datetime.js. Okay, let me... It's my finished, polished version. PBS. So you need to save this snippet into a text file in the same folder as that file. Oh, just in the same folder? Just in the same folder, because I'm referring to it there as dot slash. Oh, okay. Uh, Do I need to name it something in particular? I think it won't let you save, but no, nothing in particular. You can, if you're running it in Code Runner, it doesn't really matter what you call it, because you're just going to hit the play button. It just has to be saved into the same folder as pbs.datetime.js. So I called it test.js. Okay. All right. And what you will see, okay, so the first four lines, there's a giant big comment saying there, code to suck our browser-targeted date and time prototypes into Node.js, brackets. This is a dirty hack to get code written for the browser into Node.js. Right. Okay, so I'm sorry, hang on one quick second, Bart. I saved it into the wrong place, and so nothing is going to work in a second. Okay, uh, I, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm I'm looking so at test.js, or am I looking at... Okay, well, look, okay, for the... Yeah, this so the test file? here, just lines three and four, what I'm telling you is, don't worry about... They look weird. I'm not even going to tell you how they work. I'm okay. telling you this is a dirty hack because we're using browsery stuff inside a not browser. Okay, so tell me again what it, this is doing. So this is going to suck in our newly created prototypes, and then we're going to try use them, and we're okay. not going to handle our errors. So I'm saying create a pbs.date object, var, my date equals new pbs.date. Nothing wrong here. Try set it to an impossible date. My oh. date dot European 30, comma 2, comma 2017. Ah, uh, okay. The 30th right. of February. All right. That will throw an error. Uh-huh. Or it should. If, well, it does. So if you now hit play on that, it should barf at you. It barfed on throw new error. Right, because that's exactly what happened. It threw oh, invalid day month error. Oh, okay, there it is. Wait, shouldn't it have said, oops, that's not a legal date? No, because you're looking ahead to the next bit of code. I haven't talked Am about I? it Am I? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I'm paying attention. So this is an example okay. of an unhandled error. Right. No one caught that exception. It went all the way to Node.js and it went, no, okay. Okay, so for the audience, when he said try to set it to an impossible date, he has simply, um, uh, that's just in his comments. He did not wrap this in a try block. No you try just, block. You so just meant, unhandled. let's try it. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is, this is an unhandled error. Okay. And now, so how do we convert this code to code that will behave better? The answer is I wrap my risky statement inside a try and then I catch inside the I catch afterwards and I log in this case. Oops, that's not a legal date. Okay. And the syntax is just try and then squiggly brackets. Yep. The thing you're going to try and then uh, catch and then it says catch parentheses ERR. And this is a place where. You and, and, and Jill write it differently, and it scares me. Okay. ERR is what you're saying there is, what goes in that parens is, the name I shall give the object representing the error is er. So that is a name of your choosing. And okay. JavaScript will put whatever the object that was thrown will be called whatever you say. Okay. So I could call that my error, you could call it ERR, and she could call it E, 
And they all do the exact ah, same thing. Okay, yeah. E is quite, E and Er are the two common ones. Okay, yeah. She says E, and I'm like, where did E come from? I don't know what you're talking well, about. You're creating E there, right? So catch, open parens, and then you decide what to name the error object. Hmm. Okay. So it's like a function, right? It's like saying, I will call the first argument, whatever. You're saying, I will call the error, Er, or hmm. E. Or my error, or boogers, or whatever you're having yourself. Okay. So, you okay? So we're catching it there, and we're responding in a way that's much more human friendly than all that garbagey, scary stuff. So it's this is where I could I could have my my caught error or my catch say erase everything you just finished typing into this form and start over because you uh, forgot one digit in your zip code because apparently that's what all form creator people do. <laughs> that's certainly how bad forms behave, yeah, because they submit to the server, the server goes, ah, and then makes you start over. A better solution would be to respond by saying, you know, marking it in red, putting an arrow next to it and saying, yeah, try this bit again, please. Right, right. Um, the other thing to say is this error or error object is not useless to you. It contains a piece of data named dot message which holds the string you passed it when you said th throw new error and then you got to type in some text. So Wait a minute, we never said throw new error. Well, we did inside pbs.daytime.js. The prototype said throw new error, right? Oh, so this is catching the error that was throw created by the throw. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm glad you said that again, because I did not catch that at all. So when we say catch parentheses ERR or E or boogers, that uh, that is an object that is the message that was sitting over in the uh, PBS.daytime. Yeah, so day. you say throw new error. Well, the, the catch catches the error that was thrown. Wow. So you're literally throwing the ball to him. And so that error, if you see the constructor for all the error types, take a string as the first argument. And you can access that string by saying whatever you called it, dot message. So the final third version of that code says, oops, can't do that in parens, er, dot message. So then you're printing out, oops, can't do that, invalid day, month, year combination. So I would just like the audience to start a little, I don't know if you want to do a betting pool or if you want to make a bingo board of what is the <laughs> next thing that Allison will later swear Bart never told her. I'm putting this in the center <laughs> square. Because I can tell I I'm going to quite plausible. Take it. That one's going to take me a while. I I know it right at this moment, but in a little while, maybe an hour from now, I don't know that it's still going to be there. Okay, so that is kind of the most important stuff. But let let's these examples are contrived. Let let's be less contrived. Let's let's move to the web. Let let's actually take our prototypes into the actual web page. So in the zip file, you will find a file named pbs32a.html. Okay. It's important that file remain in the folder it came from, so it's sitting next to pbs.datetime.js. Okay. And then you can just double-click it to run it in a browser or do whatever you'd like to open that in Safari. Okay. Or Firefox or whatever you have on yourself. Okay. Uh, come on, Safari, open. Thank you. Why are you being so slow today? Okay. So what we see here is three drop-down menus. We're not going to... Right. I would like you to ignore how the drop-downs work for now. We will be using this exact same example again when I explain how drop-downs work. But for now, okay. we're interested in the other aspects of it. 
So you can choose a day and a month and a year. So let's start with something sane like the 10th of January 2006. And when you click render date, you're going to see it comes out in international format, European format, American format, and English. Oh, and English is in a pretty little font. <laughs> yeah, I made it a cursive font. Why not? Really? So okay. clearly this is using our prototypes, right? Right. So now let's do something dumb. Let's say the 31st of April. That doesn't exist. Any year you like. Okay. Render date. All right. That's never handling properly. That is being that is being handled properly. We caught that, right? If we hadn't have caught that, the render button would have done nothing and the error would have been written to the invisible console. Oh, okay. All right. What it what happened is a clear message was put on screen and the outputs were replaced with three question marks because I don't want to leave garbage output down there. Right. So something sane has happened. I have caught that error. So now let's look at the JavaScript under the hood. Okay. So I have copied into the show notes only the event handler for the button being clicked. Oh, right? okay. So we're going to look at the HTML when we learn about selects and stuff. Sure. But what matters now is the JavaScript. And so you know, I you like I like button, Bart. I like that you're giving us both pieces right now because now you're starting to see the two things working together. This is really cool. Yes, as a, this the whole uh, this is intentional. I want to bring what we've done into the browser. So, as we know, so dollar and then passing it as a string, a CSS selector gets us a reference to that object. So dollar pound sign render underscore button or hash render underscore button just gives us the button because if you were to look in the HTML, it says button ID equals render underscore button, mm-hmm. and then we're calling JavaScript's dot or jQuery's dot click function and we're passing it one argument which is an anonymous function yes i've gotten lost okay you can tell by the, the look on my face open up friends. so wait a minute where um, where where's the click line two. i'm trying to figure line out two. then i'm not looking at the right code where am i supposed to be there's below the entire click handler for the button colon it's 27 lines long if that helps Oh, yeah, you skipped over. Okay, no, no, that was that one. Okay, sorry. Hello to the audience. I am now on the right page. Okay, add a click okay. handler to the button. I'm with I'm with us. So the first bit there is just the jQuery for get me the button. So dollar inside a string, pound sign, render underscore button. That's mm-hmm. the idea I gave me button. And then I say dot click, and then we pass as the first argument an anonymous function. So in other words, when someone clicks, run this anonymous function. Okay. So what happens in here? The first thing is, I assume there will be no error, so blank the error message. So we say var dollar error equals another jQuery call to get the thing with the ID of error underscore out. So dollar error is now just a variable representing whatever on the page has the ID error underscore out. Why I do you have to do that? Just in case they've they've now they've clicked it a second time, you want to make sure you're like as we're looking at it right now, we still have the error message on screen. You want to make right, sure you so get rid of it. Something real. And then when you click the button, you'd like the error message to go away. Gotcha. Because okay. Doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, now I've just lost my place in my ship. Ah, there we go. <laughs> uh, so then we say $error.text empty string. In other words, replace the content of that div with nothingness. Dot hide. 
and hide it as well because it's yellow and has a red border. So we don't ah. just want it empty, we want it gone. Okay. So it would look quite ugly. So that's taking care of some housekeeping. So when we click the button, we, we assume there's no problem, so we make the error message go away. Then we create a date object. Var d equals new pbs dot date. Great. Then we do the bit that might cause us some trouble. So we open a try block. And then inside the try block, we set the year, the month, and the day. And for now, I'd like you to take it on faith that the jQuery there works. So $years.val, $months.val, $days.val. That will get the value from those dropdowns. How okay. it does that, we'll talk about later. Okay. But basically, whatever number you've picked in the dropdown, we pass that to the year function. Whatever value you have in the other dropdown, we pass it to the month function. And whatever value you have in the other dropdown, you pass it to the day function. Okay. So we're trying to set the year, month, and day, which could go wrong if we set 2017 to 29. Right. That is not acceptable. So then we have our catch. So try to do that and then catch. So if anything goes wrong, we will do $error.text, fail to interpret date with error colon, and then we concatenate error.message. Then we say $error.show. Ah, okay. Then we say... Get me all of the text areas where I'm going to be writing the answers. So dollar dates list inside DT. You'll, that, that's just jQuery stuff. Or give me all of those text pieces. And then I say make them equal to three question marks. And then I say return. So hang on. You told us there was an error dot message, but all of a sudden you're calling error dot text and error dot show. No, no. Error dot text is error, dollar error is an object representing something on the page with the ID. Oh, it was error. the error. You created that variable. Yeah, I created that variable up okay. on line four. And error, as in just error, is the object we caught. Oh, okay. So error.text becomes fail to interpret date with error plus error.message. Okay. I, I just, I don't know where dot text parentheses and dot show parentheses did we learn how to do that before? Those are jQuery functions for setting the text inside an element. So we learned about .show, .hide, but you're trolling through your memory okay. a bit because we haven't been on the web in about how long have you been revising? Yeah, quite a while. Okay. So and it's going to be rough when this. you give us the first homework because we haven't practiced any of this. But okay. Well, that did, yeah. I prepare. know. That's, that's what you're going to be getting. <laughs> I know, but it's going to be like three months without homework like we did before. But okay, keep going. Just warning you. I'll be okay. sitting there going, like I am right now, never saw it before, Bart. And then I'm going to say, well, actually, if you look at installment 14. <laughs> yes, you will. So the last thing I do inside the catch is I just say return. In other words, end the function. We're okay. done here. I, I've put up my error message. I've shown my error message. I've set all of the outputs to question mark, question mark, question mark. I am finito. Return. Okay. Now, after that comes the rest of the function. So if that try block succeeded, the catch block will never happen. Ah. So the function can continue on with its life. Okay. So then it gets, using jQuery, it gets a little div with the ID of inter underscore out and uses dot text to set the text to d dot international. And then we set the text of another one to d dot European and another one to d dot American and another one to d dot English. In other words, we call the four functions on our prototype. Right, right. And then the last thing I do is I call the click handler on itself. So in other words, when the page loads, it clicks itself once, which is why the page is never empty. Right? Oh. As soon as you load the page, 
there's something there. That's just because I called dot click once after creating it. Oh. Ah. It does. Yeah. Okay. And that's just a little convenience. I didn't want to have empty stuff there. That would just look ugly. Huh. So okay. there we have try catch in action. I believe it. Couldn't write it if you held a gun to my head, but I believe it. Well, practice will make perfect. <laughs> the key okay. point, though, right? We wrote those prototypes in the abstract. We had no idea those prototypes would ever be on a web page with a div with the ID error underscore out. Or that we might want to show or hide that message, right? No, We knew none of that when we wrote our pbs.date. Yeah. Because we split the error handling into a game of two halves, we can do that. The only thing the prototype has to do is throw its hands in the air and say, it's wrong, wrong, it's broken, this, this, this will not work. Right, right. And then it's up to the user of the API to decide how to respond. Okay. So we use the API here, and then we decide how to respond. Okay. And that is all I want you to take away from this. Yeah, let me try let me try it. to say it back. So okay. when we wrote the JavaScript, when we wrote the prototypes, we simply said, we're going to throw an error, and we're going to let the person who writes the web page or uses it in the terminal or wherever they're going to use it they're going to do the error handling and the way they're going to handle it is they're going to they're going to try and then catch if they catch an error then they get to decide what happens with that error got it in one what's that got it in one oh good <laughs> it's a miracle so that's that, that is what i wanted to do today in on the javascript track okay so i think we can mark that as done so now let's switch gears and let's move back to our html track so in HTML, we're going to look today at the select tag and its friends. And the select tag does the traditional dropdown and it does the multi-select option list, which I don't like. But anyway, we're going to talk about it. Okay. So a dropdown in JavaScript is a select. Um, so the select tag contains one option tag for everything in the dropdown. So if you look at our little sample dropdown on the previous page, let's say the one for month it has 12 options that means that there is a single select tag which contains 12 option tags an option for jan an option for feb an option for mar an option for april an option for may you get the idea and, and so you, the, you meant it when you said javascript not html uh no i meant html okay thank you okay so one select tag containing many option tags that's the okay. Structure okay. So, so the 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 options are the January, February, March, April, May, June, and the the select is it's selecting month. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So the select is all the objects together. Okay. Like with everything else we've learned about, it is very important. A for it's just good practice in general, and it will make a few things a little bit easier for everyone. So if you click on the label for a select, the select becomes highlighted and you can use your arrow keys to operate it. But if you're visually impaired, that label is absolutely vital so that screen readers know that that label matches your dropdown, right? So we, I, I'm like a stuck record here. <laughs> we had to label our checkboxes. We had to label our radio buttons. Well, you have to label your select. And again, you have the two options. Either you wrap a label tag around the text and the select, 
or you have the label and the, the label separate to the select and you just use the IDs and the for property to map the two together. Okay, I'm not quite sure where we're seeing that right now. Well, it's much easier just to wrap the whole lot together. So the simple example below shows you a select for choosing which day of the week you'd like tacos. <laughs> well, Tuesday. Oh, you're okay. So we're a Taco Thursday in our house. Well, we used to be Taco Bell Thursday, but it's Taco Tuesday. It's the alliteration that always makes it Taco Tuesday. But okay. the funny thing, right? So I never do tacos on any day but Tuesday or Thursday. <laughs> I will go a week without tacos if neither of those two days work out, which is ridiculous. It is absolutely stupid. But I, you know, I come home and you know, I'll be asked, "Is it Taco Tuesday or Taco Thursday?" It's like Taco Tuesday this week. Yay! <laughs> never Taco Wednesday. Good to know. Okay. Never Taco Wednesday. Never Taco Monday. Anyway, that's not here or there. So we say label. What day of the week would you like tacos? Select name equals tacos underscore day. Option value equals one. Monday slash option. So which option. of that is the part that's telling? I I needed to know which example when you were trying to describe what the screen reader was looking at. So the screen reader is going to know that what day of the week would you like tacos matches the drop down that contains Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, so we are saying, oh okay. You're saying the thing to the left. Okay. I got yeah. you. I got you. So then in, so we have our select tag, which wraps around all the options. And each option has option, value equals something, then some text, then slash option. Okay. So remember that in HTML forms, everything gets collapsed into a name value pair, right? Forms are all about these name value pairs. Yeah. The name goes in the select tag. Every option gets a value. And then depending on which one is selected when you submit the form, that's what the value is going to be. Okay. And the value and the visible text are not the same thing. Oh. Value one, visible text Monday. Value two, visible text Tuesday. Value three, visible text Wednesday. So you could make them the same, but you just you chose not to for illustrative purposes? Precisely. Yeah, I could have said, I could have put the string Monday as the value for Monday. But actually, generally speaking, it's easier to use numbers for things, I find. Maybe that's the programmer in me, but <laughs> I find that easier. Because then I can say, is it less than Taco Day? Right. Because <laughs> that means there's still hope. It's If it's after Taco Day, then it's not till next week. So the key point is that it's the select gets the name, each option gets a value, and the value does not have to be the same as the visible lay, the visible text the user sees for the option. Okay. Okay. And the whole lot gets wrapped in a label tag so that we can label it to say this bit of English matches this whole dropdown. Right. A little aside, those of us who bought Code Runner, I discovered we can do this HTML stuff without even having to make a full HTML page. Just, so you see the little screenshot here in uh, in the in the little aside in the show notes? You just uh -huh. go into Code Runner, you paste in only the HTML I have up there, you change the drop down next to the play button to HTML, you hit the play button, and hey presto, a little web page pops up underneath in the console. Oh, that's adorable. Isn't it? So now you can see what that HTML maps to. It maps to what day of the week would you like tacos, question mark, and then a drop down which in my screenshot I have set to Thursday. <laughs> so let's see, I set it to HTML and then I I get a sidebar somehow. There's uh, the sidebar button. The sidebar. It's on the left there. And 
You don't need the sidebar. You can just click run oh. and then make the bottom bar. Oh, 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 I thought you did something tricky with that. Oh, look at that. Okay. Again, good stuff. Good stuff from Code Runner. Yeah, we like this app. I think the two of us are having the same experience. Every time we use it, we love it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm loving it more and more. Every, t- every time I use it, it's just like, oh, it's fabulous. Nothing not to like. Okay, so by default... When the web page loads, whatever option is at the top of the list will be the one that's selected by default. Oh, okay. So Monday, in our case, because Monday comes first. But that doesn't have to be the case. You can put onto one option the attribute selected equals selected, and then that will be the default. So if you see in the next code snippet, we can say option value equals four, selected equals selected Thursday. And then Thursday becomes the default. Wait. Uh oh, oh 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 I see it. Okay, yeah. Option value four uh equals four, selected equals selected. Boy, yeah. why does it always have to be the same word? <laughs> that is a holdover from XHTML, and I can hear Jill shouting into her iPod now <laughs> telling me that actually in HTML five that is optional. That is correct, HTML five, and that is how I have done it for the last ten years. So it is not incorrect, but you could legally say selected and then stop typing. Oh, okay. So you don't have to say selected equals selected. You just say the blue selected there? Yeah, and that makes my brain explode. Attributes <laughs> have values. So yeah. I just write selected equals selected. Okay. Also, if you're typing in, co- in a code runner, it will help along a bit. You get as far as the L and then it'll fill out the selected for you. So you don't have that much typing to do. Right, right. The other thing we can do, and this is purely visual, this is purely for presentation reasons, we can group our options into something called option groups with the tag opt group. So you see in that snippet, do we say opt group, label equals weekdays, then we have option value equals one Monday, value equals two Tuesday, value equals three Wednesday, value equals four selected equals selected Thursday, value equals five Friday. End the opt group. Start a new opt group. Label equals weekend. Value Option value equals six. Saturday option value equals seven. Sunday. Hmm. So if you stick that into Code Runner so you can see it go, you'll see what that does. It just creates a heading inside the drop-down menu called weekdays. And then it indents Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday under that heading. And then it makes another heading called weekend. And it indents Saturday and Sunday under that heading. You cannot click on weekdays or weekend. They are not options. It's They're not just... doing anything for me. It's just saying, well, it's just saying, what day of the week would you like tacos? And it's okay, set so to Thursday. Click on the drop down. Ah, drop down. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. You didn't, I didn't know where it was going to show up. Okay. Got you. And it actually shows up literally how it looks in the code, actually. Right. But I mean, I thought it would be on screen. I didn't know I had to click to get to it. No, no, yeah, when it's in its collapsed form, a drop-down only shows you what you've currently selected. Yeah, okay. By the way, I can prove Jill is right about yelling into her iPod a few minutes ago about selected equals selected, because you can write boogers in qu- in quotes after selected equals. I wrote selected equals uh, boogers for Thursday, and sure enough, Thursday was selected. <laughs> you can. I'm not sure you should, according to spec. I think you can also put true, legally speaking. <laughs> I'm putting boogers. Okay. 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 Don't 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 do it in your homework. I'll mark you down. <laughs> Not that I mark your homework anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. But anyway, 
There'll be a finger um, wag, a very serious finger wag. Okay, so that is pretty much all the HTML for drop-down menus. So <laughs> the fanciest it gets is up to group and selected equals selected. And other than that, it's just a select tag with some option tags inside it. So nowhere in here does it have the word drop-down. What Correct. word is making these drop-downs? The select Correct. tag? Okay. All right. Huh. I guess that makes select sense. Select from also... these things that will drop down. Yeah. The okay. select tag has a second mode of operation. The select tag can also be one of these scrollable lists into which you can select things that you've probably seen on the internet. So what you're seeing now, a drop-down menu is a select with a size of one. So if you pop into your little code runner there, select name equals taco days, and then after that, put space size equals seven, and then see what happens. Wait, put that where? After the So after the Y of day in tacos underscore day, after that quotation mark, put a space. So we okay. have select space name equals tacos underscore day space uh-huh. size equals quote seven quote. Okay. And now hit play. <laughs> Sorry, it took me four tries to type seven. <laughs> okay. So Got has eight, it eight, spat eight. out that horrible scrollable select list? Yeah. How would you describe that to the to the to the dear listeners? So I have no idea what you'd call that. I've got a box that has caused all the, the what day of the week would you like tacos to slide way down. It's got a box around it, and it says weekdays down to weekend, but it's not showing the weekend options. Well, so imagine scroll. if we put it eight scroll. or nine. Oh, does it scroll? It scrolls. Oh, there was, because it's stupid OS ten. I can't see the scroll uh, bar. Yeah, so uh, you but you're saying only make it seven tall. Like, but if I make it 20 tall or 80 tall. Oh, but it's yeah. really nice how it shoves the text down to the bottom. So I made it 80, and now I can't even see that. So. It's, I do not like these strange select boxes. You see them on badly written web pages. It's the only place I've ever seen them. Okay, so that is a select box. So by giving it no box. size, it becomes a pull down. What you're, okay, so when you give it no size, it has a size of one. Oh. And size of one means a pull down. And a size of anything greater than one means one of these stupid boxes. Okay. So I just changed it to size equals one and it went back to being a, uh, a pull down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, in this sort of pull down mode, you can also do something else that's a bit weird. You can have a select box in which you can make multiple selections. And you do that by adding an attribute to the select tag, multiple equals multiple, or multiple equals one, or multiple equals true, or multiple equals boogers, if you must, or just multiple. But in my notes, you're going to see multiple equals multiple. And that allows multi-select. The thing is, this is really user hostile because the rules for multi-select are determined by the OS. So I think on the Mac, you hold down the command key to start clicking your multiple options. Or you might hold down the shift key to select from yeah. one option to another option. It behaves like the Finder. And on Windows, it behaves like the Windows File Explorer. But it, I have generally found that if you have to tell users how to, if you make your users do this, they will get confused and they will call the help desk. <laughs> it, it will not go well for you. So I will almost never use these. The other thing is, as soon as you say multiple equals multiple, the select will always be a scrollable list. You cannot have multiple equals multiple and size equals one 
because the size equals one will be ignored by the browser. As soon as you say multiple equals multiple, it is one of the scrollable lists. So where does multiple go? In the select tag. Okay, so back up where we said size equals one? Yeah. So say multiple equals multiple, and then it becomes multi-selectable. So maybe say slice equals nine, so you can see everything at once, and then uh, multiple equals multiple. Well, and then you can start clicking around, then it will behave... That's like interesting. I, so I did multiple equals, well, I called it multiple. I don't know what that word is there for. And it made it four tall. Yes, yeah, Safari will not have a size less between one and four. Okay. If you put size equals two in Safari, it will stay at four. If you put size equals three, it will stay at four. Guess what else you can do? You can select multiple, multiple things to start with. I put selected on Wednesday and Thursday. And it let yeah. me uh, select them both. I was curious what it would do when it was a pull down. And it chose the second one, oddly oddly yeah. enough. Yeah, because it's basically, it, it's going through the code. So when it, it gets Wednesday, to the next one. Oh, and now I've selected Thursday. Oh, and now I've selected Friday. Okay. So you're left with the last one. Yeah. Well, that was stupid. Okay. I should have selected Tuesday and Thursday. Let me fix yeah. that. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> okay. So in the zip file, you'll find the file called PBS32B HTML select example. And this, this is a dumb form, but it made me chuckle. So uh, we can use it as our example. Okay. Um, so I'm going to break this out into a new finder window. Move tab to new window. And where is my B? There we go. Dragon. All right, this is a terrible radio as I fumble around with OS X. That's okay. Okay. So we have here a form called with with a it's a form contained inside a field set like we learned about last time and the mm-hmm. field set has a legend. The legend is taco preferences. It then contains a list of different formy bits. So the first thing we have is an example of a drop down. I would le- like to eat tacos every, and then we have a drop down, which is defaulting to Thursday. Okay. Then we have. I enjoy the following fillings in my tacos. And then we have a list of possible things you might put in a taco, which is a multi-select. And if you click the button, regenerate form data, you will see what happens when you have a multi-select in the form data. So I have a bunch of glop down below before I hit that? Yes, because when the page loads, it It does it. It it auto-clicks that button. Okay. So I click the so button. Taco underscore day equals four. That's our drop down behaving in the same way. So change Thursday to Wednesday, hit the button. You're going to see it says taco underscore day equals three. So that's behaving sanely and sensibly. Okay. The multi-select, on the other hand, is giving us a separate name value pair for every selected option. It's just that the name is the same. So taco underscore filling equals beef and taco underscore filling equals cheese and taco underscore filling equals beans and taco underscore <laughs> fillings equals sweet pepper. So okay. that's how it, that, remember I said everything collapses to a name value pair? Well, if you select multi, it collapses to many name value pairs. Well, that seems sensible. Well, I guess no? they could have, yeah, it, it's the least unsensible thing they could do. <laughs> you really hate these, don't you? Yeah, it, it, it breaks things. They're user hostile, they're developer hostile. What do you like if, put, you, if you do want to select multiple things? I give people an array of checkboxes with nice labels, so if they click okay. anywhere on the word, it just selects. Ah, okay. But not, not radio buttons, because we learned those only do one. Exactly. It's literally a collection of checkboxes, and that behaves just the way people want. It's easy to read, easy to understand, and no one ever gets confused. So that's what I do if I want to multi-select. I use checkboxes. Okay. 
Okay, so let's have a look at the code for that. So we see what it looks like. So if you look at the code there for PBS 32, or 32B, mm-hmm. you'll see that it, it should, in general sense, make sense. So we say form action equals JavaScript colon void. I told you to put that into text expander. <laughs> um, we give our form the ID taco underscore FM so that we can print out its data. Field set, role equals form, because remember, we need to be nice to our ARIA people. ARIA labels by equals taco underscore FM underscore disk. So somewhere on the page is something with the ID taco underscore FM underscore disk. Oh, look, there it is. Legend ID equals taco underscore FM underscore disk. And it says taco preferences. So a screen reader knows that that field set is defining a form. And that form together should be given to the blind person the title taco preferences. Okay. Okay. Which is entirely appropriate thing to tell the blind person. Right. Then we start a UL, and in there we start an LI, so an unordered list, and then we start a list item, and then we start a label. I would like to eat tacos every. And then we have our select. Name equals taco underscore day. ID equals taco underscore day underscore cell. Um, okay, giving it an ID. Option value, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I have Thursday get selected equals selected. Nothing very fancy there. Close our select, close our label. What, it, what is the ID for on the name, t- uh, select name equals taco underscore day? Why does it have an ID? Uh, probably because I wanted to use it somewhere in JavaScript. Okay. All right. Or because I wanted the stylus. Okay. But giving it an ID so you can mess with it later. You can give talk it an ID to so it. I can mess with it. I don't think I actually do in this case, but I will generally give things IDs so that I can mess with them. Okay. Um, then we have our example of what I hate. So... Label four equals taco underscore fillings underscore cell. So this is the example of using IDs with our labels. So the select is not inside the label this time. The select is separate to the label. So this is why that select has to have an ID so that we can do this label four equals. Okay. I enjoy the following fillings in my tacos and the label be or tag so that we put the stupid scrolly thing on the next line. (laughs) It's no real proper way to justify it. So shove it onto the next line. Your disdain is showing. I'm not showing my disdain at all. (laughs) Nothing particularly shocking in here, except for the fact that we have multiple selected equals selected, because I'm also giving away my secret recipe here. When I do tacos at home, they have minced beef, grated cheese, beans, fried sweet chilies, and actually a spicy taco sauce as well. (laughs) The only problem I see with this is you you can't want to eat tacos every day. Yeah, that's because when I tot it up on my fitness pal, I don't want to eat tacos every day. <laughs> there you go. Until I tot it up on my fitness pal, I probably do. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay, and so that's that's kind of all there is to it. That is a perfectly full example of each type. So we're seeing here an example of a drop down, an example of the scrolly list. So we're seeing an example of the label wrapping everything and the label separate, connected to it by an ID. So that's everything we talked about. Yeah. So now we come to the second part of this branch. jQuery. Okay, we can create them in HTML. Great. How do we interact with them with JavaScript? So for this, I'd like you to go back to example 32A. Okay. Which is our drop down of day, month, year. Okay. Looking at it. Right. So I'd like you to 
bring up the web console so that you have somewhere to type in a minute. And all of this example code in the next part of this show notes are to be pasted into the console on this web page. So they're going to use the IDs and stuff to find in the HTML for this web page. That makes okay. Sense. Yes. And so I'd also like you to open that same page in Code Runner so you can see the code. Oh, actually, no, it's in the show notes, is it? Um, no, it isn't, because it's long. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just tell so, you. To... Oh, I had it somewhere. PBS thirty two A is in Code Runner. Yes. Okay. Two A in Code Runner. Okay. So now we actually should look at this code because last time I just told you to play with the page, but now we should probably look at the code. Okay. So big picture structure, we're setting a title, nothing fancy there. We're saying import the jQuery library. That's just a copy paste job, nothing fancy there. Import our date and time prototypes. That's just a script tag, script source equals dot slash pbs dot daytime dot js dot meing dot slash being. Wherever I am. The current folder. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I keep saying it's important you have those two files in the same folder. Okay. Then we're going to, then we're defining some JavaScript that we will look at in a moment. But that JavaScript's job is to do all the jQuery stuff for this page. So right. I'll, for now, scroll past it. But just remember that's where it is. It's up in the header. Then we meet a style tag where we just define some basic styles for our page because I got so fed up of looking at that annoying default serif font. That I said, body, font, family, Helvetica. Um, and then I gave it to Line 86. Oh, oh, how did we get on 86? It was like on I said, 8? I said, skip by all that scripty stuff. We'll come back to it in a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Did some fonty stuff. We did some fonty stuff. We made some things bold so they stand out. Uh, we made some things um, courier new monospace so that we so that our dates look a bit normal. And then we made something cursive so that we have our squiggly stuff. And then we have our style for the error box. So we're saying color dark red, background color corn silk, border one pixel dotted dark red, border radius 10 pixels, margin 10, padding 10. So that's that red evil error box that pops up when we get stuff wrong. We're just styling it so it really stands out. Okay. Yeah. So then we have the HTML. Form action equals JavaScript colon void. Remember, copy-paste job. We're giving it an ID because, well, then we can refer to it if we need to. I don't actually think we need to, but anyway, we've given it an ID. Field set, role equals form, aria labels by, and then we have another ID, and then underneath it, legend ID equals that ID, date format renderer, slash legend. So we're saying this is a form, and to the blind, we're going to call it a date format renderer. And to the visual, well, they see exactly the same label, so it's all good. Right, because the legend is typed on screen also, right? It is also, yes, okay. exactly. So basically but because you attach it to the ID, that's how they knew what it was. Precisely. So gotcha. you're, you're making an, a linking to the screen reader saying, this field set is containing a form, and you should label that form for the visually impaired person as this piece of text. Okay. Again, I'm using an unordered list to hold everything together, list item, a label, day of month, and then a select, close the label, Oh, hang on. There's no options defined in here. That's a bit weird. Yeah. Park that one for a minute. <laughs> yeah, why is it working? Ah. It's okay, a we'll select park. ID equals uh, quote day underscore SEL. And then he's got close select. Yep. I have made an empty select. Hmm. We'll get... no, don't worry. Don't worry. This is on purpose. Remember, this is jQuery, right? Well, no, we're in Having... HTML. We're not in right. jQuery. I have made just enough HTML for jQuery to come to the rescue. 
<laughs> I have built a little bit of scaffolding and then that jQuery uh, that that jQuery code I told you to scroll by does a whole bunch of stuff for us that we'll get to in a minute. Okay, so that that ID is going to be important in these. That ID is going to be very important because okay. we're going to be shoving in basically the days are awfully copy pasty. Mhm. Value equals 1, text equals 1. Value <laughs> equals 2, text equals 2. I think a for loop might just be useful there. Ah, okay. So we're going to use jQuery to just build up that whole option thing with a little for loop. Hmm. And then we're going to do the same for our months because, again, I'm really not into copying and pasting. So label month, select ID equals months, slash label. Label year, select ID equals year, slash select. Very straightforward. Then we have our button. Again, the only thing important about it is it has an ID because we're going to make this button do something. Ah. Give it ID so we can address it later. Then we have div ID equals error underscore out slash div. Well, that's our little div we're going to use for our error messages. Nothing in it yet because nothing has gone wrong yet, but there it is. Okay. I'm using a definition list for the outputs. So DL for definition list ID equals dates underscore list. Have you told us Again, about definition list before? Yep. There are three kinds of list, unordered, ordered, and definition list. Huh. I okay. use them all the time, but yeah. Okay, and what is a definition list? A definition list shows a heading and then a value. So international format, 1001101. European format, 0101. So a DT gives you the heading, and a DD gives you the data that matches the heading. Are those, those are magic real things? Those Me we learned about in about installment three or four. Long time ago now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's like a year and a half. You remember the UL and the OL because you use them all the time. Right. In the self-same installments, you also learned about the DL, but you forgot about it because you never use it. And the DT? The DT is inside the DL, right? So a UL contains LIs. Okay. A DT contains... Uh, let me say that slowly. An unordered list contains list items. Right. So you have UL and LI. A definition list contains definition titles and definition data, which gives you DL, DT, and DD. Okay. It's that gonna, it, yeah, but it's going to look like date, time, and date, date to me forever. <laughs> We've Fair been saying enough. date and time so much, it's going to be hard to do. So well, if you don't, what was T again? Title and D was... was a definition data. list, a definition title, and a definition data. Okay. I don't like DD. Definition data? What? Okay. But anyway, DT and DL work. Yeah. And we're just saying, so make a definition title international format, and then make a definition data with the ID inter underscore out and no content. Make one with the title European format and the ID your underscore out and no content. USA underscore out and ENG underscore out. So there's lots of IDs here. Are we seeing a pattern here? Everything I want my jQuery to interact with, I have given an ID. Yeah. So all I've done here with the HTML is I've built a scaffolding. Right. All of the pieces of this web page are defined in the HTML, but all of the work is being done in that JavaScript I made you scroll past. So let's scroll back up to that JavaScript. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> okay. So keep that there here, and we're going to move to the show notes for a bit, and then we're going to come back to... We're going to start on line 16 when we come back. Okay. So in your browser... I'm going to get you to type in a few little bits and bobs as we go, and then we're going to come back to look at that, that whole big thing later. So just like with checkboxes, a, a select has a name. So you can access that with the atter method in jQuery and giving it the value name. So if you want to see the name of the 
thingy with the ID techo underscore day underscore cell, you'd copy and paste that short little snippet into the jig into the console. Okay. I know how to copy and paste, but I've we're look yeah, I'm we'll looking copy, at copy and paste and then we'll talk through it. Yeah, but you're talking about tacos and we're looking at dates the date format renderer. Why oh, we sod. I'm I am so sorry, Allison. These snippets are for the other page. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> That's what okay. I tried to podcast with a head cold. I oh. so no, we are coming back, but you're gonna have to park that stuff on the other page for a little bit longer than I thought. So on the HTML select example taco page, paste that in and it okay. will tell you that the name of the select with the ID taco day cell is taco underscore day. So just like we were doing last time. So remember last time we could get the, the name by using the atter function. Well, now we're getting the name by using the atter function. In other words, jQuery is entirely consistent between checkboxes, radio buttons and select. If you want the name, say dot atter name. Yes. Yeah, it's just been so long since I've seen this that I'm forgetting what we're doing. But uh, so right. you've, you've got okay, the dollar function, right? We're starting with the dollar function, dollar open parens. Right. We'll pass the dollar function one argument, which is a string. Yes. And, that's, and that string is the ID? That string is a piece of, that string is a CSS selector. So pound sign or dollar or hash, taco underscore day underscore cell. So the the hash symbol, the pound sign, means ID. So yeah. in other words, you're saying to jQuery, get me the thing on this page with the ID, taco underscore day underscore And then cell. return me the attribute name. Okay. And it spits out taco underscore day. If we wanted to change the name, we just give a second argument of the new name. And then that form element would be renamed. You can do it if you like. So if you put it up, stick it to boogers. Uh-huh. You knew I was. Uh, apparently, I don't know where to type it. Okay, uh, so name, end the single quote, comma, space, as a string, boogers. I did that, so and it wrote a bunch of glop after that. Select ID equals dollar. It's going to print out the return of that function, which is actually the select tag itself. But click the regenerate form data button and watch what happens. So it says boogers equals two or whatever day you have selected. I don't. Oh, 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 there in the form data field. Okay. Yeah, it's name value pairs. Well, you've just changed the name to the from taco underscore day to boogers. Okay. So do a shift refresh and then sanity will return. Because otherwise the next example okay. might break. <laughs> we haven't ever looked at this code, so I don't really know what the where the form oh, data sure. came from. Um. I think we did. We did, I thought we did look at the code. The but anyway, form, yeah, you see, CBS thirty-two, yeah, okay, thirty-two e. Have a scroll there, and you'll see that says select name equals taco underscore day id equals taco underscore day underscore cell line twenty-eight. I have to. I never opened this, so we were not in that that I know of. Uh, okay, so what I'm looking for is where this form data thing comes from. That's the thing that confuses me. When I look okay, at the that, data is just the click handler. It is on line 12. All we're doing is we're basically saying to jQuery, just show, just print out whatever the form evaluates to at the moment. Okay. It's, I copied and pasted that from last week. Okay. It's not something, it's not something you realistically ever want to actually yeah. do. I'm just doing it so I can show you the form data. Okay. 
Okay, so we can access the the name part of the name value pair with dot atter name. Mm-hmm. We can access the value part of the name value pair with jQuery's val function, which is again consistent with last week, which is nice. I like the fact that jQuery is consistent. So we can get the value of that same dropdown by saying dollar pound side taco underscore day underscore cell dot val. Ah, and since it's set to Thursday for me, it's four. Precisely. Now, okay. So if you do that for the single dropdown, you get back the actual value, four or three or two or whatever was inside that value attribute. Now let's do it for the multi-select thing of Doom. <laughs> okay. So the next code snip for the multi-select thing of Doom. So pound sign taco underscore fillings underscore cell. Oh, it that's actually kind of nice. It says beef, cheese, beans, and sweet peppers. Okay. It's actually returned you an array, which Safari yeah. has politely printed out for you. Okay. So you got back an array. Right. And if you unselect everything in that list by holding down the command key and clicking on each one, mm-hmm. and then run that snippet again, it still gives you an array. It just gives you the empty array. Ah, okay. So anytime a select has multiple equals multiple, the return value from jQuery is always an array. Even if you select one thing, it will be the array with one thing in it. Okay, that makes sense, right? And if you have, if you don't have select equals or multiple equals multiple, then you get back the actual value, which is also nice. Now, you can make the selection change by using dot val with an argument. So we can say dollar taco underscore day underscore cell dot val seven, and then the first dropdown will jump to Sunday. Oh, I wish I'd been watching. I'm going to change it to three. Change it to something and then run it again. How did it? Oh, it's when I hit enter that it changes. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So we're telling it, make the value be seven. It's looking through all of its options, finding the one that has a value of seven and setting it. Okay. So that's jQuery being very clever. Okay. Um, you can also do the same on the multi-select. You can pass an array to the val function and it will dutifully select all of the things in the array. Hmm. So you're going to have to, it's a bit of work to copy and paste all of that. Yeah, that one's a little harder. Really annoying thing. Yeah, that's okay. But you paste that in and you will see that the selection becomes my favorite ingredients. <laughs> okay. So that's pretty good. So we can, we can manipulate the entire select using the entire selects.val function that we call .val on the select, not on the individual options. Yes, we call we called it on select, and, so, and jQuery knew what to do. We can also mess around with properties on the option tags. And one of the properties of interest is the property named selected. So to see if cheese is selected, we copy and paste in a fairly long-looking piece of code. I'm going to get you to copy it in first so you, can, so you know it works, and then we'll describe it. Okay. So if you copy that in when cheese is not selected, it'll say false. And if you copy, if you then select cheese and run it again, it'll say true. Regardless of what other selections you have in there, by the way. Okay. So you also have chicken or beef or whatever else selected, it will still, you're only, you're querying the proper, you're querying the option. You're not querying the select. Yes? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what's going on here? There's a lot more jQuery going on here than you've seen in a while. And I, I intentionally wrote it this way so it would be long so that I would have an excuse to give you some revision. Okay. So let's work through it. Dollar function. First argument is a string, which is a CSS selector. So option, what does that mean? Something appears in a CSS selector with no dot or pound sign in front of it. What is it? Well, it's, it's not an ID. It's just the name of a tag. I would like option okay. tags, please. Okay. So there's no dot or pound. It's a tag. Square brackets, something equals something. That's our attribute selector. So I want options with a value of cheese. Okay. And that's the end of the first argument. So that's what jQuery is going to go look for. Now, I'm giving jQuery a second argument. So do you remember what the second argument does? Changes it. No. Ah. The second argument to the dollar function says, confine my search to this. Don't search the entire document for all possible cheeses. Only look for cheese inside what I'm going to give you as the second argument. And the second argument is dollar pound sign taco underscore fillings undersell. In other words, I want you to search for all options with a value of cheese inside the select with the ID taco fillings. So I thought that had a dot between them when it was that left to right thing to make sure you're pulling it all out. This has a comma. Comma saying second argument. So first argument of the dollar function is the CSS selector. Second argument of the dollar function is a limit on our search. Okay. Cover. We did. This is revision, but yeah, but I I really, I really thought that was. It was a it was a dot in between those two. I remember the the discussion, but I remember saying, "Okay, just string them out in dots, and it'll just keep getting more and more specific." That was something else. Okay. Anyway, we then finish our dollar function and we say dot prop selected. So, in other words, I want to know the selectedness of the option that met all those criteria, which is true or false, and we saw that working. Okay. We can also make cheese be selected. By doing exactly the same thing, but on the very end, after selected, we just put comma true. And that will make cheese be selected. Outside of the parentheses? Inside of the parentheses? It's the second argument to the prop function. So prop, open parens, string selected, comma, boolean true, close parens. All right. So true is not a string, true is a boolean. Or we can unselect it by saying false. Okay. You can't do it if you're using Text Expander in the HTML snippets. <laughs> because something went bloop bloop. Yeah, well and it changed it to true inside HTML tags or something. But okay, I got it I got it to select. Okay. Now notice that had no effect. So if you had also selected fried beans, that didn't change. All it did was change the selectedness of the one option. It didn't affect the whole list. It didn't behave because like its property had to be selected already. No, we changed because what? it's a multi-select. It's a multi-select. Oh, so we already said it was cheese. Cheese, yeah, doesn't have any impact on anything else. Okay, which is sensible because you said multiple selections are allowed. So, yeah, that's okay. Good. That's excuse me. So that's what I wanted to show you. So we have used jQuery to find out the name or change the name, find out the value, or change the value, select or unselect options. That's everything you'd want to do to a dropdown, right? What else could you possibly want to do? 
Yeah, I don't know why I would use jQuery to select things for somebody, though. I don't understand why we were doing any of the stuff we were just doing. I didn't get a, a, a root cause. Because you, if you want to automate something on a web page, that's what you're using jQuery for, right? So maybe if someone pushes a button, you select 50 different options at once. Maybe you have a button called favorites or something. Maybe you have a short a button that says, you know, or you can try one of our pre-selected options, Allison's choice. You click the button and then everything selects that Allison likes. And then another button called Bart's choice and you click that button and then it selects all the things I like. That would be how you, you know, you'd, do, you'd need jQuery to do that. Okay. If you go to, say, XKPassWD and you have the preset buttons at the top, right. when you click on all the options in the form change. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that's, that, that's, rings, that's, that's, that rings a bell of something I'd want to do. Okay. And I have an idea for an enhancement, by the way, for that. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> good, 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 good. So now let's go back to our, to our actual example because this, your homework involves this day, month, year thing. So I'm actually setting you up for your homework now. We're almost finished. So PBS 32A is going to be the starting point for your homework. Okay. So let's explain what it does before I tell you how I want you to make it better. So 32A was the date time drop down thingy. Right. And where we had left our friend was I had showed you the HTML was basically the skeleton for the page. Right. And the first thing you noticed quite correctly was that all of my selects looked a tad empty. <laughs> so let's go starting on line 16. So line 16 is our DOM ready event handler. So in other words, as soon as the page finishes loading, this code will execute once. So what's the first thing this code will execute? Well, on line 17, we have a very interesting comment. Add the options to the day select. Hmm. That sounds like something you might want to do. Var $days becomes equal to, and then we call the dollar function with an argument of a string, which is pound sign, day underscore cell. So give me the thing on this page with the ID of day underscore cell, which if you scroll down is our completely empty select. Right, right. For the So that is now safely popped away in a variable with a very sensible name dollar days. Then we say for var d equals one, which is the first day of the month, semicolon d is less than or equal to 31, which is the last possible day of any month semicolon d plus plus so that clearly is going to loop through all the days yes yep we say dollar days dot append so this is where we use jquery to shove a new thing into a document and what we're going to append is dollar sign which contains one argument which is an html tag so when you give the dollar function an html tag do you remember what it does no. It makes a new one of those. A new one of what? Exists. It makes a new option. Or if you were to use the P tag, it makes a new paragraph. Or if you were to use the H1 tag. What What am I adding something to? What? This this okay. code is stuff... I We don't do this, and so I don't know any of this. This is... I know. We, well, we, okay, it's all, in, it's all in the various show notes, so we're working our way through it. This is all revision, but it's been a while, which is why I'm working through it with you. It's not new, but it is. I'm 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 asking you to dig deep on this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We I mean we've been we've been speaking uh, Spanish for uh, seven months, and you're suddenly speaking Swahili, and you told me the word Swahili once before. That's what it feels like. I well, you actually have done homework on this because I made you do this so that we put our remember we put little icons next to every external link. 
I mean, we did homework on this. This isn't just that I told you. We actually did homework on this. The stuff where we had the links becoming with the little icons. Yeah. Every. I mean, yeah. You know, so I just you can't ask me questions because I don't know any of this. This doesn't okay, well doesn't tell, fit at all. Of, okay. I won't. Okay. I won't ask questions. I'll tell you. Is that better? Hmm. So when you pass the dollar function an HTML tag as a string, it makes a new one of those. One of what? Whatever is inside the angle bracket. So in this case, a new option. Not a new days. No, no. So, okay. So days.append open parens. And then what, what's in those parens? Well, what's in those parens is $option.text.val, right? So we're saying $option means make me a new option. Dot text D means give it the text of whatever the current number is. Dot val D means give it the value of whatever the current number is. And then when you've made it, append it to dollar days. So in other words, dollar days gets the option one. And then we go through the loop again. And dollar days gets the option two. And then we go through the loop again. Why does it have text D and val D? Why why would you do that twice? Well, you remember that we had the text that the human sees goes inside the tag and the value goes inside the value attribute. Remember, we had one and Monday and two and Tuesday. But we well, we haven't the, told it Monday or Tuesday. We're just, no, you, you've changed them both saying, to one. You've got right, a text one and value. Remember, I said they could be the same, but they didn't have to be. So you could have Monday, Monday. But in this case, we have one one. Okay, I I don't have any idea why. Okay, no, 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 no. Is this really important? We can keep going. I'll stop no, asking. No, no, it is important. It is important. So look at look at any example from the show notes that shows an option tag. Um, say the one for tacos. It says option space value equals one Monday slash option. I I. I I don't know. I don't know where I'm looking. Where, what are you talking? Uh, okay, PBS thirty two B line twenty nine. Okay, not not in the web. I've got to open a. Okay. Open the HTML. Yeah, open the HTML file. Okay. PBS thirty two B, line twenty nine. Okay, so you say uh, option value equals one Monday. Close option. Right. You don't say one twice, but you just put one in twice. Right. Okay, so in the if we wanted to recreate this exact one, we would say dot text. Monday dot val one. Okay, that makes sense. But that's not what you're doing. You're doing one and one. Why would you give the text one and the value right. one when we're talking about the well, date? If you look at the date, if you look at the date drop down in the finished page, it just says one, two, three, four, five, six. Day of month is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, 13. I think part of what's been confusing me is directly below this is one colon Jan, two colon February. That's the month, not okay, the well, days. I, that, I know, but my brain yet. was seeing that and thinking, why am I saying one twice? No. Okay. You're saying one twice because it's the equivalent of Monday, Monday, or in this case, one, one. So the value that the user sees is one, and the value attribute is also one. Got you. So the text is one, and that's what I'm looking at. The value is one is what the text represents. Okay. What it represents, exactly. Exactly. So we're setting them to be the same because it just okay. makes sense in this case. It doesn't often make sense, but in this case it does because I haven't made up names for all the days of the month. Okay. We used to do things like that. The Ides of March, I think, is the 15th, but we don't do that anymore. Okay. Um, so that just means that when this loop is finished, 
one of our three drop downs has now become sane and sensible. It goes from one to 31. Great. And I didn't have to do an awful lot of copying and pasting. I wrote three lines of code instead of copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Good. Better. Then we just say select one, right? So dollar option. I want the option with the value of one inside days selected true. Okay. Kind of redundant, but anyway. I now make one of my favorite things in the world, a lookup table. <laughs> I am mapping the months to their abbreviations. 1 Jan, 2 Feb, 3 Mar, 4 April. Okay. I just do that because it's easier. Than, it's just easy that way. Okay. So then we say var dollar months. We do the month select. We do exactly the same thing. We have a loop that goes from 1 to 12. But this time we're saying the text is our, is our lookup and the value is our number. So this time we get the value being 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, up to 12, and the text being Jan, Feb, Mar. So the value is 1 or is Jan? The value is 1. So M is our number here. For var M equals 1, M is less than or equal to 12, M plus plus. So M but is you say number. month underscore brief underscore lookup, and then you M. have the array M, so, okay, the value so M. Words, the text comes the result of looking up M. So if you look up one, you get Jan. If you look up two, you get Feb. I don't know how it tells which one, which column to take from, because you say square bracket M in Val and in the other one. Give me the value associated with with that number. So one maps to Jan. So when M is one, the result is Jan. So Val should be January. Jan, not one. And you're saying it's one. I'm saying the text. I'm saying text becomes the result of converting one to Jan. So the text will be Jan and the vowel will be one. I believe you, but I don't see how it does that. Because you've said. Okay, I've just made an array here. The first, uh, the array, the element named one has the value Jan. The element named two has the value Feb. Okay. And when M is one. But how does it know which one's the text and which. You don't say take the first one or the second one in the array. You don't say name value. You're doing value no, name. Is, okay, I'm using the number as the name. So name one, value Jan. Name two, value Feb. Name three, value March. How, so I'm where, where are you saying that? One colon means name colon value. Okay. So the so name is one. The name is numbers, but the one is the name. So the name is one, the value is Jan. So then you never say name or value in your your code. You say text. How does it know which one's the text? The one that's the string? Is that how it's finding that you mean Jan? Okay, so text says set the bit the human sees. Text is what goes between option and slash option. jQuery's text function puts the text of a tag. If you set the text on a paragraph, it goes between the P and the slash P. So the text of an option goes between the option and the slash option. So the jQuery text function is always the typey bit. So is the bit between the opening tag and the closing tag. Okay. That's what text does. The text is the bit between the opening and closing tab. And val is the value equals attribute. So we end up with a drop down for... Okay. Feb. Okay. And I'm not going to bore you with the, the, what I do for years because it's awfully similar. <laughs> Okay. I, did, I decided to go from 2000 to 2100. You really could have made that any size you wanted. I just didn't want to have to scroll too far. <laughs> yeah. So at that Good. point, we now have a form that is empty, 
but at least it has all of our drop downs in it. So the next thing is the click handler, what to do when you press the button. And I don't have to describe this because we already talked about this in the first half of the show. Right, right. And that's it. That's all the code. Okay. So that's how this... You are not going to ask me to do this, Bart. (laughs) Right. Your assignment is either you have a choice here. Use this as a starting point or use this as an inspiration. (laughs) I suggest starting point. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I would like you to add two extra drop downs. I'd like you to put them before day of month. And I'd like them to be called hours and minutes. So I'd like to see five drop downs when you're finished. Hours, minutes, day, month, year. Okay. I'd like you to have a button. And instead of saying, well, leave international. I'd like you to have European 12 hour. European 24-hour, American 12-hour, and American 24-hour. And I'd like you to go from using pbs.date to pbs.datetime. Oh, okay, because this is using pbs.date right now? This is using pbs.date, which is why it only has three drop-downs. So I want you to make it be a date time and to show the different formats for a date time, which are international, European 12, European 24, American 12, and American 24. And if you'd like to reorder them, that American comes first. <laughs> okay. And pre-select American. If you like. <laughs> if you like. Okay. Let's see how that turns out. <laughs> okay, so the, on one hand, the homework is effectively copying and pasting, but in order to make it work, you're going to have to work through the logic of how the page works. So right. while the actual code you're going to have to write is probably 10 lines, you're going to have to understand what's going on here. And therefore, you're going to end up asking me a lot of questions, but that's good because when you're finished, you're going to know how this works. Okay. And I know you're going on fancy pants holidays, so what's going to happen is you're going to come back and you're going to have forgotten absolutely everything. So this... What this little leaked in. That's fine. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. And I, 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 I couldn't talk anymore if I wanted to. My voice is now completely gone. <laughs> Um, and my yeah, so th- this took way longer than I thought, and I'm going to say it's because my brain is mush. No, I think we tried to pack a little too much in, so I think my brain was mush by the time you got to this piece. But uh, uh, I sure like the earlier parts when we were still fresh. <laughs> Anybody yeah, who stayed is, with us to the end. <laughs> but there's less in this than we did last time. Last time we did bullet, we did checkboxes and radio buttons. This time we only did select. Yeah, but we also did the all the other bits before we got to the uh, HTML yeah, but and JavaScript. Last time we did static functions, which is really hard. Oh no, static functions were uh, they were a Actually, piece you of keep doing this to me. Everything I think will be hard. You, you go after it was fine, <laughs> and then and I go, I "What's an anonymous function again, Bart?" <laughs> yeah, I, I if if I could guess what you'll find hard and easy, I would be so much easier. But so far, I'm a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> I think it's always syntax that kills me. Because usually it's not the logic, it's the syntax that kills me. And there's only one way to learn the syntax, and that's just to type it. Type it again. Type it again. Type it again. (laughs) And again. That's right. For 10,000 hours. It is is helping. So uh, Bart and I have uh, scheduled the next time we will be recording will not be till April 7th uh, together. But uh, you will hear from Bart in my absence. So good luck with that, Bart. Yes, well, we won't be doing 
PB, we will be doing programming with stealth because that would be very unfair to go have all this fun <laughs> while you're while you're away. So right. I, I have something else lined up for that. Um, but yeah, so you have quite a bit of time. Well, not you. You're off on holidays. <laughs> the listeners have quite a bit of time to do this homework before we meet again on the seventh. All right. Well, I'm looking uh, forward. Oh, actually, yeah, here, here's something to whet your appetite. On the seventh, you will be learning about test-driven development. <gasps> Yay! And text boxes and text areas hmm. in forms. And they sound like the same thing, but they're not, because HTML is just a teeny bit odd. <laughs> All right, Bert. Well, we will, uh, we will talk to you in April. Excellent. Safe travels. Have fun. Think of me while you're off watching like the world's most amazing island and stuff and climbing Machu Picchu and all this great stuff. I look forward to seeing all of your photos from, from your lovely adventure. I hope we can pull that off. Okay. Very well. Until next time. Happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.